We've all got that friend or family member, the one that just learned about something from Google University and wants to make sure everyone knows that they've learned all there is to know on a topic. Even though they've spent little time in the quest for understanding, they present themselves as an authority on the subject. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It could be medical treatments, government functions, auto care, or any number of other topics. What's even more incredible is that with their limited knowledge of the subject, they're willing to disregard the opinions and advice of those that know far more about the topic and might even be considered an expert in the field. What is it that makes people overestimate their knowledge and abilities to such a great extent? There's a phenomenon at play here called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and we're gonna dedicate the next 20 or so minutes to think significantly about it. Hello, everyone out there in podcast listener land. I am Pete, and with me, as always, is my co-host, the delightfully dedicated and dynamic Melissa. How are you, my dear friend? Oh, I am. I am well. I am feeling in the mood for some alliteration after that intro, Pete. Uh, Denny Kruger is absolutely one of my favorite things to talk about. I am fascinated, and that's not being hyperbolic. Fascinated by people who are certain that they have all the answers even in those instances where their entire exposure to the field has been like a single article that's popped up in their Facebook feed. <laughs> right. It blows my mind how common this is. Oh, I find it. I find it immensely interesting as well. And, and do you know what I find ironic? That neither of us is an expert in this field yet. We're going to opine on it as if we were, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get the irony here that we're walking a fine line. <laughs> that is exactly it. Our, our saving grace is that I don't think either of us are going to dispute any expert testimony uh, as we talk about Dunning-Kruger. Uh, and we're not going to pretend that we know more about it than they do, for sure. Um, I, I think that we both have our heads squarely on our shoulders on this one. Well, if we don't, let's, let's make sure that we're called on it, because we do not want to do that. That would be terrible. Right. Yes, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's in either one of our natures to think that we have all the answers. We usually err on the other side of being like, I know nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before. The more education that I find that I get under my belt, the more I, more I realize, like, I, I don't know Jack. Like, I definitely think it is safe for us to move forward and tackle this topic. Yeah, let's do let's do that, because this is a. Uh... Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic conversation, I think. I can't wait to, to dig in and see what, what kind of uh, information you brought for me. <laughs> All right, then. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So the Dunning-Kruger effect, for those that, that aren't aware, is a, is a cognitive bias that can influence our decision and our behaviors. And as we've alluded to, uh, it causes people to think they know more about a subject than they actually do. That's right. And it applies to the performance of tasks as well. So essentially it comes down to this very strange relationship between someone's knowledge of a subject and their perceived level of expertise. Oh, I love the way you emphasize perceived because that's exactly the heart of the issue. It's this strange relationship you referred to as, as the best represented by a, a, a graph, um, which I understand podcasting is a is a uh, audio medium and I am talking about a graph, which is a visual visual medium but I'm going to do my best to describe it. All right. Well, we'll stick it up on social media after the podcast. But but in the meantime, Pete, I, I imagine that we've all seen a graph before and I have full <laughs> faith in, in you in, in being able to paint a picture. So, so without further ado, 
paint us a picture, Pete. And yes, that was my that was my <laughs> attempt at alliteration. It just came forth now. There that you was, go. That was good. Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> What we see with this effect is that when someone gains a basic understanding of a subject, their perception is that they know almost everything about it. Their confidence in their ability skyrockets. This initial peak in the graph, where there is the biggest discrepancy between knowledge and perceived knowledge, is often referred to as Mount Stupid. Then, somewhat paradoxically, if the person continues to develop a depth of knowledge on the topic, their perception of their expertise decreases precipitously. All right, so if you're out there conjuring this up in your brains, it's a parabola, folks. <laughs> big honking upside down you. There well, you go. Well, Depending you, could on how many... me, you could have saved me a lot of time and just said that in the beginning. <laughs> right, but it was so good to hear it. And of course, it, it, it's an, I'm saying it's an upside down you. It, it clearly depends on how we have our axes labeled. So, you know, I'm glad that you described it. You painted the picture. But this is what you're describing. Go to media so you can see it because yeah. it's a lot clearer. Picture's worth a thousand words and I dedicated about 50 to it. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So what you're saying though is is like exactly what I alluded to before. I'm like on my 12th year of college at this point and I, I feel like I'm always sort of just dabbling, right? I'm like, I'm like one of those water bugs sort of just like dancing on the surface. <laughs> So yeah, you're right. People who have actually studied a subject extensively feel like they know far less about that subject than someone who only has that surface level water bug sort of understanding. That seems that seems incredibly counterintuitive, doesn't it? And yet we're we've we have a whole phenomenon surrounding it. Yes, absolutely. It does seem counterintuitive, and that was a nice way of phrasing it. Um, when we talk about this, all I can think about is Charles Darwin in his book, The Descent of Man, when he said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. And, and I'll tell you what, that, that guy Darwin knows a thing or two about being an expert in this field. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he was the only one in this field at the time. So he was right. setting, setting the bar for expertise. All right. But Check. before this conversation evolves into something else, let's talk about the origins of this effect. The origins of this effect, as opposed to the origins of the species. Nice. Got Nice. Right. Well, oh, you, you teed it up for me. It was like a softball. So yeah. Unintentionally. That was awesome. All right. Origin of the species. Tune in three years from now when we have nothing <laughs> left to talk about. We'll chat about that. Yeah. All right. Good. Yes. We're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Tabled. Go. Okay. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm talking about a, uh, the 1999 study by David Dunning and Justin Kruger, where they studied their subject's ability in humor, logical thought, and grammar. Right. The one where they found that participants that scored in the bottom 15% rated their performance at 50% or higher. And that was consistent across all three subjects. Yes. So the people in the basement of that bell curve thought they were funnier, more logical, and more grammatically astute than they were. Of course they did. They overestimated their abilities because they had no idea what even a good job looked like. You know, as they say in the South, Pete, bless their hearts. Yes. And as, and as someone who's spent a, as a not insignificant portion of his life living in the South, I know that that is not as good as it sounds. So yes, <laughs> bless their hearts is right. Dunning essentially uh, paraphrased Darwin, actually, when he said, uh, the incompetent are often blessed with an inappropriate confidence buoyed by something that feels to them like knowledge. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that, that the very knowledge and skills necessary 
to be good at the task are the exact same qualities that a person needs to recognize that they are not good at the task. So if a person lacks those abilities, they remain not only bad at the task, but ignorant that they're bad at the task. They're, they don't even understand their own ability. Right. I love that buoyed by something that feels to them like knowledge, like yeah. this feels like knowledge. And I, and I don't think, I don't think Boyd gets worked into the, the language often enough. So I'm going to, I know, but here, this is our challenge for this yeah. week. I'm going to say, I feel buoyed by, <laughs> yes, this teen spirit that I smell around me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So their whole thing is like they're adding insult to injury. I think we can agree on that, right? Yeah, right, indeed. They're, yeah. And here's where things get so interesting. Uh, as someone gains actual knowledge on a topic, their perceived mastery of that subject decreases. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's what, that, that's what we alluded to before. But the 1999 study showed that to be true. While the low performers were thinking that they were the best things since sliced bread, the high performers those that tested in the highest 25th percent, they estimated their results would be lower than they actually were. Yeah, I can totally see this. Yeah, the more people learn about a subject, the more they start to see that there is actually so much more to it than they thought. It's that key piece of the puzzle that when, that what I know rather is merely a drop in the proverbial bucket and that that shatters people's misperceptions. Uh, yeah, hey, reality check, aisle five, uh, yeah. That, that extra boost of information helps us refine our metacognition, <clears throat> which is our ability to see ourselves and our thought processes objectively. It, it takes our, our feelings about ourselves and puts them to the side so that we can evaluate ourselves objectively against other people. You busted out with that metacognition. It was like, Alex, I'll take big ass words for 500. <laughs> I was like, metacognition. It just rolls um, off the tongue too, doesn't it? Right, that and buoyed. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, this is this is a this is a uh, a word lovers dream podcast right now. <laughs> All those word lovers are like, it's not. Yeah, no. All right, so we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Yes. So so basically, until we learn enough about something to be to to be able to objectively evaluate ourselves, we are in danger of overestimating our abilities. Precisely, and let's not yeah. forget let's not forget that other meta term. <clears throat> which I haven't introduced yet. Okay. Ignorance. Oh yes. Okay. Like kind of like the flip. That's, that's what you're talking about. It's yeah. the, the lack of knowledge that hides the vastness of what we don't know. Yep. It's literally that we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. That's that lack of knowledge makes us feel like the small amount we do know is all we'll ever need to know. So the educator in me just like died a little bit right there. Like, uh, I could feel it. Like, uh, it was like creeping away. Like, uh, it was like I'm, sure I've, I'm sure you've had some students in that, in that meta ignorance. Uh, uh, yeah, but... you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> so like the people in the lower performing groups, the one that vastly overestimate their abilities face what is referred to as a double burden. So, mm-hmm. which is my night, which is my scientific way of saying insult injury, right? right? So they have that limited knowledge and experience on a subject which leads to mistakes on their part. And because they don't know enough to allow for that metacognition that you brought in, they don't see the need to try to get any better. Right. So, and, and we've already talked about overestimation, which is one of the three types of overconfidence that, that we sabotage ourselves with in the, in the performance arena. Yeah. I would say we've squeezed all the juice out of that one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we could talk that one to death for sure. Uh, but there's, there's also um, over precision which is when we have 
overwhelming confidence that the information we have is the truth mm. and that all our answers are correct. The truth and nothing but the truth. Yes. yes. I say, excuse me while I log into Facebook so I can see this in full real time effect right now. I mean, I'll just pick any scientific topic du jour. Vaccines, COVID, climate change. Whoop, there it is. There it is. <laughs> it's, it's, whoop, there it is. That's exactly right. Uh, it's even present with some social issues, like like science for sure. That's where we see it most strikingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it pops up in in things like um, like the causes of gun violence, where where both sides of the debate are absolutely positive. They know all the correct information. Yeah, and I was going to say, I was thinking another one like this this raging topic now on um, the legalization of marijuana. Like sure. both sides are like one side is like you know both sides are very encroached in their position like yeah and that's and that's an awesome example because it, it it touches not only on the science aspect of it but also the social aspect of it right there's there's that's a that's a very multifaceted issue that has a lot of depth to it and no one person is going to be able to say that they know everything about the the debate and yet they do say they know everything there is about the debate but yeah, right. i digress Right. All right. So, so you've done two out of three. What's the third one? I got to know. Tell me. Okay. So the last is, is overplacement. Oh yeah. Uh, which is when we have an, an inflated sense of our abilities relative to other people. Like, like we talked before about taking our feelings out of it and, and rating ourselves objectively. This is, this is the inability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great example of this is that studies have shown that as many as, as 80% of Americans rate themselves as an above average driver. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't, they're not where I drive. I know that, but. (laughs) Me neither. Yes. Yes, I'm sure they're, they exist somewhere where there's 80% of people above average driving. I'm just laughing because I mean, I'm no mathematician. I just dabble in it, but uh, is it possible to have 80% of people to be above (laughs) average at anything? I mean, that would would be, yeah, it would be redefining average, I think. I'd be redefining the damn bell curve, like, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does that look like? Paint me a picture of that, Pete. We won't be putting that on our <laughs> social media. <laughs> look like a three-year-old druid, like, here's mommy's face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but what you're saying is that precisely highlights the dangers to not having a good assessment of one's abilities. Like, it's no surprise that new drivers get in at more accidents than experienced drivers, but the statistics show that the difference in accident rates are not due to experience alone. Those new drivers often overestimate their ability or overplace their skill as higher than it actually is. And while they think they have total control of the mastery of the vehicle, the reality is they just haven't been driving long enough to understand their limitations or to potentially have hydroplaned once and scared the crap out of themselves. (laughs) Right. And so their overconfidence leads to recklessness and higher accident rates. Yeah, ask any parent of a teenage boy and they can tell you for sure that the yeah. insurance companies are certainly aware of how prevalent overconfidence is in young drivers. Mm-hmm. But, but that's understandable to an extent because we place a great deal of value on confidence. Many people of all ages would rather fake confidence in a task than risk looking like they were lacking in some way. Which, which I feel that makes me sad, right? Like what's yeah. behind that, right? Peel back that onion for a second. Is it like an element of peer pressure or we don't want to reap the wrath of others if I get something wrong. Are we living in a zero defects world? Like, what what is going on there, man? Yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're right. I think there's a certain peer pressure aspect to it. I think, honestly, I think um, there are a lot of people that are 
more insecure than they let on. Uh, and I think that that really is at the heart of a lot of that fake it till you make it kind of mentality. Yeah. Fake it till you, you, you don't break it. And then right. you get an accident. Fake it till you, right, yeah. right, right. Exactly. Right. But that this phenomenon is actually highlighted by a study I came across recently uh, by the university of Cincinnati. Oh, go Bearcats. Hello. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Go Bearcats. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the study found that between 20 and 40% of Americans will provide opinions or answers on topics that are completely fabricated in order to avoid seeming uninformed. I'm going to say that I am familiar-esque with what you're <laughs> speaking of. How ironic. Uh, I might be wrong. So <laughs> what, what, what's coming up in my head is this. I'm thinking of those instances um, where you have the talk show host and they go out on the street, they do man on the street and they're like, hey, man on the street, what does IQ stand for? And of course the person inevitably doesn't know and we all laugh from our couches and we're like, duh. Right, yeah. right. Right, because we all know the answer because we don't have a microphone in our face. and We know the answer because we're sitting there with our phones that are logged into Google. That's what's <laughs> happening. Hello. Right, right. Yeah. right. But there, and, and that's absolutely uh, a, a good example of it. But what I'm thinking about now is something different, something that that, that predates even uh, Leno, Letterman, Kimmel, Colbert, right. take your pick. How, how far back are you going, Pete? What are we talking here? Carson? Johnny Carson? <laughs> Oof, no, actually, I'm talking about the 1947 survey about the Metallic Metals Act. Uh, the first, it's, it's the first credited instance of a public poll conducted on a made-up topic. Yes, yes, I'm familiar, yes. I know, well, I was just knee-high to a grasshopper in 1947. <laughs> yes, you were. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I am familiar with this, and I, I thank you kindly for drawing it out of the recesses of my brain. This is that um, like the name says it all, right? Mm -hmm. That's that survey where they talk about a fictional piece of legislation. They gave the respondents those four possible responses and like something like 60, 70% of people responding to the question gave an opinion about the act, even though it didn't even exist. Spot on. That's exactly it. 70% weighed in with a response to something that they weren't familiar with because it didn't exist. It was made up. And as we've seen on other topics, it took the research world some time to come around and study this. There were, mm -hmm. ready, 52 years mm. between that mineral act survey yeah. and the landmark study conducted by Dunning and Kruger in 1999. 52 right. years before anyone thought that it was worthy of scientific study. No, but that's because they all figured, they thought they all knew everything there was to know about. <laughs> They're just demonstrating it. They're like, oh my it goodness. looks like this. Look. I have not considered that. Now I'm now I'm completely agog. A, a right, there you go. Agog, yes. Are you buoyed by your ignorance <laughs> in your agogness? Yes. But, you know, you make a good point because once that, like, 1999, uh, you know, study, like, like, came out, that, like, this thing exploded in prominence. I mean, sure. I, honestly, there are very few people, I think, that have never heard of Dunning-Kruger. Right. I... I I think there are a lot of people that would say they know what Dunning-Kruger is, even though they might not actually know, but go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, there's that, right? Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, I can tell you, though, anyone conducting public polls has got to be aware of the bias that Dunning-Kruger exposed, like namely that people will answer any question you throw at them. So you may not actually be measuring public opinion at all. I mean, there there's a whole art around how to write good poll questions to control for this phenomenon. Right, because when you're conducting a poll, you don't want people giving you 
what they think you want to hear, right? That defeats the entire purpose of polling. Right, exactly. You want to reduce response bias. And what is so interesting about this whole conversation, besides this whole conversation, of course, is that it's making me think, I always have these weird sort of tangential sort of like spider webby thoughts. It's yeah, making yeah. me think of imposter syndrome. Oh, uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's the opposite of Dunning-Kruger. I mean, right. that's where you have achieved success in a field, but you feel like you don't deserve it and that your perceived performance isn't as high as the results you're seeing. Yeah, oh, oh, oh boy, am I familiar with imposter syndrome. Um, I think, I think honestly that that's a, a subject that is worthy of, of its entire own discussion um, because there is a lot to dig into there. Why, why don't we, why don't we tell not, we'll, we'll set that to the side and, and come back to that uh, with a, with a whole episode on, on that. All right, because I can't wait to hear your tango with imposter syndrome. <laughs> no, it is, it is a, it is a I, I know it intimately. We can compare notes and be like, I know we're better. We're BFFs. <laughs> yeah. All right. Consider it tabled. I'll write okay. it down. A okay. little notepad here along with a gog and buoyant. Yes, it is definitely a topic that deserves its own focus. And, um, you know, honestly, uh, I would just be doing some anecdotal, like sort of chit chat about it now. I, I probably don't even know enough about it to have a discussion on it right now, quite honestly. <laughs> well, which, you know, according to Dunning and Kruger tells me that you m- might actually know a decent amount about it, right? Because you're, you're begging off knowing that you know it. So let me do a bit more research and get back to you. That's the sign of someone that knows that they don't know stuff. Well, I can assure you, I am not an expert on it. Uh, Dunning-Kruger is not in effect here, but yes, we will loop <laughs> around back to it another day when I will know something about it by then, right? I, I, I think this is going. This has been my favorite episode to talk about because we can continually loop back and make sure that we're not falling prey to the very thing we're talking about, which is just the meta-ness of that is outstanding. Right, it is, yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> well, you know what I do think we should talk about? Tell is, me is how to avoid becoming one of those people we see getting interviewed on those late night talk shows. I would tell you the easiest way is not to live in Los Angeles or New York. (laughs) That's right. If you're not out walking in Burbank, you're not, I don't think Leno's going to track you down. That's right. They're not, they're not going to hit up anyone in Lincoln, Nebraska, for example. Probably not. Probably not. But it's something they might want to explore. Right. We should, uh, yeah. Take notes. Late, late night talk show host. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think what you're getting at is how do we make sure that we're not falling into the Dunning-Kruger trap, which is what we've been trying to do this entire episode, like you just said. Yes. Right, right. We've, 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 we've spent quite a bit of time explaining what it is and, and, and what it does to us. Mm-hmm. But let's talk uh, about those who are victims of this. Um, mm-hmm. Because it really... This isn't something that's only going to affect a slice of society. This is going to affect everyone at some point or another. Yeah. Right. Being intelligent has very little impact on whether or not Dunning-Kruger is going to affect you. Being intelligent in and of itself is not going to save anyone. Right. Agreed. I've been, I've fallen victim to this trap too. What did I tell you Muay Thai stood for? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, I had to go back and correct myself. Like, damn, Pete. I looked this up and it doesn't mean what I told you it did. Yeah, right. I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed. Right? I know. You're like, how can I trust you from here on like, out? I've only is, known you for- That was such you know, a cool thing. Two decades and now, I don't know, man. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. So like, yeah, everyone encounters new tasks or ideas. None of us start out as experts, especially if, if it's about Muay Thai. So we all <laughs> have to transverse that, the low information area. But what's essential, and, and you're going to know how important this concept is to me, Pete, mm-hmm. is that we never stop seeking knowledge. Yes. Being yes. a lifetime learner is one of the best ways to avoid the downfalls of Dunning-Kruger. Because as we discussed, one of the defining traits is that you think you know everything there is to know. So we all keep eating that slice of humble pie that you mentioned before, which mm, pie, um, that keeps us thinking that there's always so much more that we don't know. Right, that's, that's so true. Because even if you've got a grasp of the knowledge of something, of anything really, mm-hmm. there's bound to be a point of view or perspective that you haven't considered. Right. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's just, makes sense right you no one's going to consider uh, an issue from every angle at first glance right and i'd like to add if i may that that soliciting feedback from others is another great way to keep overconfidence in check mm-hmm. right embracing constructive criticism isn't always the most comfortable thing and i get that i i, I am uh a sensitive person when it comes to any criticism um mm-hmm. but it will make sure that you're not overestimating your ability and set you on a path of continuous improvement, which goes kind of hand in hand with that continuous learning. Right, I agree with you. Yeah, continuous improvement, lifetime learner, there's definitely a pattern here. The bottom line is never to be satisfied with the mastery of a topic. Even if you start to think that you've got a solid level of understanding on a topic or a task, it is always in your best interest to question what we think we know, to seek out things that challenge what we know, give those ideas some real consideration, mull it around in your brain, and, you know, I mean, I mean, here's the secret. I mean, there's always so much more to learn about everything. Wow. Yeah, that's that's profound. But but if I if I can distill your message down a little bit, what I think you're saying is that a good way to avoid overconfidence and hence the Dunning-Kruger effect is to think significantly. I feel like I owe you a dollar for plugging the show. But yes. <laughs> Good job, Pete. I'll buy you a bagel the next time I see you. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Breakfast sandwiches on me. Yes. That's the best way to do it. Um, But I would be remiss if I didn't add that I think a great way to dive into those unexplored crevices is to surround yourself with others who also have a penchant for like less than surface level topics. So you're saying we need to, we need to cultivate a, a crew, a posse, if you will, who also (laughs) wants to keep the conversation going. Yes, I guess. Okay, yes. I'm plugging the show now and I didn't even realize. <laughs> All right, yes. You should have a podcast that challenges you to think significantly. Yes, like we are doing here with our significant others. Yes, exactly. Yes, kind of like that, Melissa. So, so let's try <laughs> to learn from our listeners. Sounds good. Because they're going to, you know, they're going to give us different perspectives. And yes. Different ideas. We'd love to continue this conversation with each of you. Reach out to us and share your thoughts on the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yes, each of you. Each of you will get a 30-minute time slot with Pete or I. Yes. <laughs> It'll be like parent-teacher conferences. <laughs> God, I hope not. Oh my god. Far goodness. more exciting. Nobody's gonna eat paste, probably. <laughs> right. Yes. So tell us where you've come across it, where you've fallen prey to overconfidence yourself. You know, tell us what you think about the topic. What didn't we cover? And as always, you know, we'd love to get suggestions about what topics you think we should discuss in future episodes. That's right. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ThinkSigPod. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Think Significantly. 
Melissa and I will be back next week to talk about prioritization. Until then, we encourage everyone to think significantly about the world around you.